Welcome back to the show, everybody. I took last week off. I needed a break. I produce a handful of podcasts for other clients, not to mention my own. And uh, I was just getting a bit, bit exhausted. So I need to take a week off from Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. But we are back and better than ever this week. We have an amazing guest as every other week. I'm super excited. I actually just interviewed this gentleman. We have a lot of stockpiled guests now and, and interviews, but um, it was so good. I'm just like, I got to launch this next week. So on the show this week is Rainier Wild. If you don't know Rainier, he's a teacher, a writer, and a guide on his Instagram. He talks about awakening, shadow, intimacy, and he's currently working on a new book, As You Are, which I actually love that title. His writing is super powerful. If you, if you already follow him, you know he's very poetic with his words, very gifted with how he explains things. But one thing I really love about this man is how he's promoting accountability uh, to sort of the nth degree. I asked him, like, if we can do one more thing in our relationships, whether it's in separation, in breakup, when we've been hurt, when we've caused pain, what can we do? And he said, accept more responsibility. And I think, like, the ideas that he was sharing is really you know, to focus on yourself and not in like a narcissistic, self-obsessed way, but to focus on yourself in a sense that you can only control the things that you're doing. And so just scapegoating and blaming other people is not allowing us to grow. You know, I've noticed a lot of times in our culture too, we throw out the words like narcissism or betrayal or um, uh, what's the other one that we use a lot is uh, gaslighting, right? We, We throw all these words and you know, they all have definitions and they're all, you know, words that are meant to define certain actions. But a lot of time we use them so much now that they're almost used to avoid our own responsibility. Like, oh, well, I was just gaslit, right? Like this person's just not a good person or emotionally immature or emotionally unavailable. And those things might not, uh, might not be untrue, right? I'm not saying that like what you're saying isn't defining the experience you're having. But I think what Rainier is arguing, and I will have to agree with him, is that at some level, you know, how many times we have to say those things until they become sort of scapegoat paths for us to avoid our own accountability, our own responsibility in the dynamic of those relationships with others or with ourselves. Right. And so you can say it once, like, okay, this person did that. And then focus on what you did, focus on the unhealthy things you did, focus on the patterns that you displayed in the relationship, focus on the healthy things too. Like, you know, give yourself some credit uh, for the good things that you did, the times you did show up, but, don't allow those to sort of overloom on the unhealthy parts, right? I think we need to have a balance of recognizing our growth and our healthy patterns, but then also returning to, you know, how can we improve? And none of us are ever going to be perfect. That's not the goal here. But the goal is like to have a healthy, you know, happy relationship, right? In a sense where you feel uh, stable, you know, if you didn't have the relationship and also stable inside the relationship. So I just really appreciate Rainer's way of talking about things. Um, you should go follow him over at Rainier Wild, W-Y-L-D-E, on Instagram. And uh, when his new book comes out, I'm sure I'll throw that out on my Instagram as well, too. He just launched a podcast a few months ago as well. So if you search his name, I'm sure you can find it on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. I'll make sure to put a link to all this stuff in the description. If you want to just scroll down, you can do that. And before we get started, guys, I just want to ask you again, it helps the show so much if you leave us a written five-star review on Apple if you subscribe on both Apple and Spotify, it would mean a ton to me. It also helps the show grow. Um, you know, one of the things I want to put more effort and more time into this show, but it's definitely got to grow uh, in order for me to do that. So I would really appreciate if you're loving the content, if you love what the guests and I talk about, 
if you're getting like just a morsel of, you know, wisdom or understanding, uh, go ahead and leave us a five star written review and share the episodes, the ones that you like. If you like this one, please share it. Please tag both Rainier and I when you share the episode. I really appreciate that too. And I'm just so excited for you guys listening to this conversation. I mean, such a brilliant one. Um, Rainier's so well spoken. He's based out of Portland, Oregon. So Pacific Northwest boy. And um, when you see the the video clip come out, which will come out this this week, I mean, Rainier, and you can go look at what he looks like on his profile. He is just such a charismatic individual. I mean, he looks like he should be, you know, a country musician or a sort of folk singer songwriter. He's got this charisma even through video that's shown through. And uh, it, that was just fun to to be able to sit in a room with him or a virtual room and, you know, chat about the things that, uh, you know, deeply resonate with his heart and what his has now become his life work. Uh, so thank you guys so much for being here. I hope you have a wonderful Monday. I hope you have an amazing week. If you're, if it's not off to a good start, take a deep breath. You're not alone in that either. And without further ado, Rainier Wild. Well, Rainier, thank you so much for coming on the show today, my friend. I, uh, I've been a fan. I've been following you for a bit now and I really love your writing and everything you're putting out in the world. And I'm really excited to, to chat with you today and dive in a little bit more into your work and how you got here, how you became the human you are today. And, you know, just, um, all the different avenues that you're, you're helping people through your work. And I think a lot of times that comes from, you know, trauma we experience or our own, our own sort of, uh, uh, you know, hurdles we run into in life. And I'm sure that's probably the, the same in, in your line of work too, but can you kick us off with, uh, introducing yourself, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you became, you know, Mr. Rainier Wild that is writing these beautiful, you know, soliloquies on Instagram today. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm Rainier Wild and I'm a writer and a teacher. And I think I'm always curious about excavating the human soul. I think I'm always curious about what's going on at any point in time and, and understanding not just what's happening out there, but what's happening in here for me. Um, how can I notice uh, deeper the reflection on my lover's face? How can I, how can I understand my own stories clearer? How can I, how can I, project less onto my children, my lovely four children? How can I engage in these ways um, in such a way that I am bringing my whole self to bear in a room and allowing others to bring their full self to bear in me? So yeah, I, I think that, um, that that's really the work that I engage in and I try and do so out loud. You know, I, I know what I'm not great at <laughs> in life. And I know a few things that I am great at. And one of the things I'm, I'm decent at is I'm decent at writing. I'm decent at telling a story. And so I'm always looking for a story to tell. I'm always looking for a better story to tell. Because what I've discovered is that if I'm telling my story with as much authenticity and clarity as I can, then that somehow enables others to begin to tell their story. It opens them up. And if they tell their story, they begin to feel a little more like free. And that's what I really want people to know and experience that, that sense of freedom that's been so valuable for me. So that's what I'm on about. That's what I do. And I've had a lot of experiences that have kind of brought me here. I think, you know, we could probably 
take that apart and talk about that at length, right? We bring all of our history with us into every room. I, I racked up some institutional accreditation and some degrees and I've, I've been a, a bit of a world traveler and I've rambled around quite a bit. Um, I think those are all very interesting things, but I think you said something that I really, really liked, which is it's always out of our own woundedness. You know, it's always out of the places where we ourselves are broken. I saw the lower 48 United States from the back of a station wagon. My, my father was a televangelist and my parents moved quite a bit. And what I came in contact with over and over and over, I think was the human condition loneliness and despair and tragedy just under the surface, really. And you see it. You see it all the time. I see it. I look around and I see people smile. I see people wave at one another, but you scratch just a little lower. It's like there's a tear hanging out of the right eye and, mm -hmm. and you feel it. And those of us who are feelers, we walk into a room. And when I was a little boy, I remember feeling it very acutely. I would walk into a room and I would know there was something going on that I couldn't quite say, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And if you confronted people about it, especially as a child, they would say, what are you talking about? Right? You don't know what you're talking about. Um, and yet I think that I began to, to understand as a child that there was something going on more than meets the eye. And what that thing is, is this, this fragile state of the human experience. And so I think in a lot of the travels that I had as a child, really, um, I began to notice and to know this common human encounter that we're all kind of having. We're not so different, you and I. Mm. And that's something that has really motivated and, and, and pushed me a lot in this work. So that's maybe where I'd start. I'm sure that you have other questions, yeah. but that's probably where yeah, I'd incred begin. Incredible way to kick it off. I, I really align with kind of what you started with it's that you know we we definitely connect as human beings through our wounds you know and I, i've talked about this a lot on the show where you know i've never really felt drawn into someone that's talking about their greatness and not not that that's not a good thing right to to own that with someone but you know we live in a in a culture of sort of very hyper individualistic meism you know it's like everything's about me the universe is between my two ears and you know the sun is spinning around me you know and uh it's yeah. it's really intriguing because i love that you bring that up because for me anytime i've been drawn closer to a person of course this this is aligned with my own evolution because i wasn't always this you know, thinking in these ways, although I, I like how you also touched on being a child, because I, I remember that as well, too, that same sort of phenomenon where I would walk into a room or a setting, and I would feel like sadness and loneliness of other people around me, and not know how to explain it, and also not have an outlet to talk about it either, because in a lot of parenting environments, you know, a lot of parents don't even know, how to, what, are you, what are you talking about, you know, you're all right, um, but I really like how you brought that up with like, you know, for me, it's like, what's drawn me closer to human beings? It's, it's their vulnerability and their authenticity, you know, because I think in a world where we sell and we glamorize vulnerability nowadays, a lot of people are sort of practicing, I don't mean to be hypercritical here, but like the pseudo vulnerability of like saying what they think other people want them to say. Right. Uh, so they seem vulnerable, but, but I can almost notice that immediately now, like for someone like yourself or like, it's like literally a vacuum. Like when I feel this person being so authentic that it's completely them in every instance, whether a camera's on or off, I'm like, I'm like right with them. I'm like, this is a human yep. being that I need in my life because they have lessons to teach me or we have things to learn from each other, you know? Mm. And 
I think that's one thing I've appreciated from reading your writing is, is there's sort of this commonality within everything you write and it just comes down to connection. It comes in on connection with yourself and connection with others. And we cannot be connected with another before we are connected with ourself. Right. That's it. It's like this, this step process. So uh, wow. you kind of let off with this idea of bring your whole self, right? Bring your entire being, which in my mind relates to presence and consciousness. Can you expand on like what that, what that is? Like what is, what is bringing your whole self and what are some components that entail that? Mm, mm, great question. You know, I, I think that, um, I think that there are twin poles to this. One I would describe as relationship and the other I would describe as self. And I would put this on kind of a dialectical continuum, one of these on each side. You might say that on one side is individualism and on the other side is community. Now, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that we don't have enough community. and I'm going to say that we don't have enough individualism. <laughs> Instead, what we have is this great washed out middle that has almost neither true individuals and and true community we don't have either i don't see it anywhere and i i tell you i spent a lot of time in community i was able to to spend my 20s in a beautiful experience of of community and what community looked like was uh, roughly 40 to 60 individuals sharing housing co-farming um sharing amazing different experiences all in all in this very tight container of living roughly in a square block from one another and and in this experience i learned a lot what i learned is that people basically um are running from something we go to relationship whether that's with a lover or a community or a set of friends and we're just running we're running from loneliness. We're running from disappointment. We're running from, from that thing that happened to us with mom and dad, whatever that is. So that when we approach the relationship, we're never approaching the relationship as itself. We're always trying to fix that thing that had just happened to us previously. And that means that we're never in relationship to the thing in front of us. We're always in relationship to what's in our rear view. And my encounter in community was that people weren't really in community with each other. We were in community with our memories or our projections, our hopes, our wish dreams of what we wanted the community to look like. And so that we didn't know the community in front of us. We weren't in relationship to the community in front of us. We were in relationship to all kinds of other communities, communities in the past, communities in the future. And what this taught me is that one, we need people who are bringing their full self. So you ask, what does it mean to bring your full self? Well, in one part, it means to be a person who's present in the room. And I can't be a person who's present in the room if I'm creating this condition of just getting my needs met. Yeah. Just what are my needs? And I talk about that a lot. I talk about what I call so that living, right? I do this so that I can get something else. Or I do this so that I can accomplish my purpose. Like going to the, the, the grocery store and picking out soup. It's like that's how I treat every relationship. I'm just getting my needs met. I'm just, you know, whatever that thing is. That's not my full self. That's just me getting a hunger met. But if I could bring my full self, if I could truly just inhabit my own skin and be with the present moment, be with my five senses, I start there. And so I start there as a self. I begin to feel myself in the room as an organism. 
I began to notice the quality of the air on my skin. I began to, to feel uh, the, the sound kind of travel into my ears. I began to inhabit myself as solid. And then I expand from that into, well, what is it that I'm wanting of myself in this moment? Not of anyone else, just of myself. I start there. You know, I think that that's a really important thing if I could be tangential. I think that people treat relationships in such a way where they have an expectation of the other person. I can honestly tell you that when I go into a conversation, the question that I'm always asking after the conversation is, how was I myself? How did I show up? And I evaluate the merit of the conversation, not on the outcome, not on what happened, but how did I occur in that space? Did I attend to myself? Did I adhere to what I really, really wanted to say? Did I portray the reality of what was going on? So I think that's where I start. How are you self? How are you yourself? How are you attending in the room? How are you bringing your complete self? Well, we start with, um, was I authentic in the moment? Yeah. Did I inhabit my word or was I just talking? Was it just filling the air with words or did I communicate something like real? You know, I grew up in an environment with, with parents who were public figures and I noticed there was a real disparity between how they were in public and how they were in private. It wasn't that they were bad people, but just they were very different in some ways. And, and they told stories that had ever shifting details, right? And I remember my father saying, never let uh, the truth stand in the way of you and a good story, right? And, and I think that, that there was kind of this wonderful gift that was given, this, this great license to, to be fictive. And so what I began to commit to in my own life is when I show up in a room, I want to show up and I want you to know where I stand. I want you to have the authentic reality. That doesn't mean you know everything, but that means that I can stand behind every word that occurs out of my mouth so that when I leave this room, if you say, oh, did you hear what Rainier said? That I wouldn't be offended by that because I said it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I was that. So that's, that's how I begin to think about how are you yourself in a room? How do you bring your mm. whole self? Yeah. yeah. Can I stand behind my word? Did I feel myself as a solid self in the room? That's really where I began. I love it, man. So from from that idea of bringing your whole self, you you picked up on so that living, which I really like that term, right? Like I'm doing this so that I get this in return, and and I, and you know I can admit to many times I've been guilty of that, specifically in loving relationships where I've been like, you know, uh, I'm I'm showing up for you in this way, like I want you to show up for me in that way. Right. And I have a question with that is that, you know, from the idea of so that living, how do we hold ourselves accountable to not living in that way? Right. And but still have boundaries and needs and be honest about what our needs are and getting needs met, because it, it almost seems like that's intertwined where, you know, are, are we should we never be allowed to have like a so that like, you know, because, for instance, a lot of people, including myself, find themselves in a relationship where you're giving continuously so much and not getting, you know, met or not not be met emotionally or, you know, sexually or wherever it is for people. Right. Or physically. And I guess I'm, I'm, I'm curious on your perspective on how does one have boundaries and be honest about their needs and, uh, you know, be truthful to their needs, but also not live in a so that manner where everything that they think they should be getting is at the snap of their fingers. Yeah. But again, great question. Um, 
at its core, so that living is a dishonesty. It's a kind of transactional approach that is harbored or hidden in a relational approach. So it seems really relational. Like I say, I love you, but that's not really what it's about. I'm saying I love you so that you'll say, oh, I love you too. <laughs> I'm doing the dishes so that I'll get sex later. I'm, okay. I, I'm holding you close so that I can feel held. There's a powerful difference between that and looking at you and saying, I'd like to have sex tonight. That's stating your need. Um, looking at you and saying, I need to be held right now. I feel broken. I feel lonely. I need to be held. Right? That's getting your need met, but it's also being very honest about it. Hold them because you wish to hold them. And when you wish them to hold you, state it. State it clearly. And if you need them to hold you first, say that too. Right? It's you being honest with yourself and then honest with them. It's not creating a series of conditionalities to the world. What we find when we have relationships that are rooted in so that living is that we've been very, very dishonest and we're almost constantly disappointed, right? Well, I said, I love you. I said, I love you. And she didn't say it back to me. I'm so upset. Why? Did you not love her? Why are you so upset here? You, you, you said exact. Well, are you upset because you said I love you? Well, no, I, I, I'm upset because she didn't say it back. Great. Be upset because she didn't say I love you. But don't be upset because you said it. You meant it. If you meant it, mean it. Say it. And if she didn't say it, be crushed, be disappointed. But don't create the condition of one then the other. Huh. Yeah. Does this make sense? I it totally does. It almost seems like, you know, it's it's the difference between um, being manipulative with something, you know, because uh, because there's this external agenda, like you know, I'm I'm loving you uh, with the um, caveat that you're going to return that love, and if you don't, I'll stop loving you, and that's really not love, right? I guess right. my my question is, is is how does one navigate when they love someone, they state that, but it never gets returned. Not that the returns the requirement, but that, you know, they're just not being met. You know, I think that that's a, that's yes. a lot of times in romantic relationships, I see that like one person is overgiving, another person is very avoiding or undergiving. And, you know, it's just, it's just an interesting dynamic. And I don't know if that directly applies to so that living, but if we look at it from a lens of, you know, someone just not getting their needs met that let's say they're explicitly asking for, you know, how does one navigate that from your perspective? First of all, lose hope. That's how. <laughs> Lose hope. A lot of us stay in relationships because we have this thing called hope, right? Oh, I hope. And it relates to the so that in this way. Oh, I hope that after I say I love you 30,000 times that they'll say I love you back. Oh, I really hope that my actions will make an impact. Lose hope. Live in reality as it is. They haven't said I love you. Now, you can either continue to say I love you and not be met or you can no longer say, I love you, <laughs> right? It is very simple, actually. Life is very, very uncomplicated. Mm -hmm. It gets complicated when we layer it with all of these ridiculous stories. Hope is one of those stories. I always say, get to a place that's hopeless. Don't be very hopeful about things. This is how it is. 
Now, if you can live with how this is, keep on living with it. And if you can't, don't live with it anymore. Say, I can't deal with this. But whatever you do, don't keep on trying to have this story arm wrestle you into doing something you're profoundly dissatisfied with. I was working actually a completely different scenario. I was working with a, a Fortune 500 executive who um, who realized that he had taken on for his partners a number of mentees. He was mentoring a number of individuals who um, – who didn't directly report to him and he didn't have any responsibility for, he was incredibly burnt out. And I said, well, what are you doing it for? Like, you're not getting paid for it. What are you doing it for? He said, well, I'm, I guess I'm, um, I'm having it because I feel like if I pour into them, that there will be a bit of social capital, goodwill that's born over this. I said, great. That's the payment you're getting from it. Now, you know, that's the payment you're getting from it. Now, does every individual that you're mentoring give you that kind of payment? Do you get rewarded for it? He said, well, no, there are some people that like I'm, I'm pouring into and it's kind of like a vacuum. I will never receive that social capital for it. I said, great, cut them. Don't keep on pouring. Right. That's like going to work without getting a paycheck. Right. Don't pretend that something is going to happen from that, that you know, isn't instead treat it exactly very straightforwardly. Give yourself to it because you wish to. Know what you're signing up for. And if you don't wish to do it, don't do it anymore. Mm. So I think what you hear me saying is be very simple. Be very straightforward. Don't be very complicated about things. One of my favorite stories, I've shared this before, but I, I love this story of this older gentleman who goes into a room and he and his, his partner go to a doctor and they say to the doctor, um, can you, can you um, see if we're, we're, we're doing sex adequately? The doctor looks at them and says, well, what do you mean? He said, well, we'd like to just have sex here at the doctor's office in front of you. And, uh, and if you could just tell us it's all working all, all right. The doctor says, my God, this is a very irregular request, but I'm willing to, to evaluate. And so this elderly couple then, then has sex in front of them. The doctor says, well, hey, I can find no fault in it. This looks like you guys are having a great time. Looks great. Clean bill of sale. Two weeks later, the couple shows back up. The older gentleman says, well, we'd like to um, do this again. Something seems off. Uh, we just like for you to kind of evaluate. Doctor says, oh, my, this is very strange, but okay. So they have sex again. Three weeks later, they come in and make the same request to the doctor. The doctor says, I got to ask, what's going on here? Because I, have, I can see no fault in this. This looks fine. I just can't keep doing this. The gentleman looks at him and says, well, here's the deal. Um, we can't go to her place. Because her kids, they, they just, they don't want us to have sex in the house. And she can't come to my retirement community because they've got a, a really strict policy against this. And a hotel is $80 a night. This is only a $10 copay. So we're coming here because it's just cheaper. How ridiculous. How calculated, right? And this is how most of us show up to life. We're so damned calculated with our lives. Stop being calculated. Be very straightforward. If you have a need, state it. If you're, if you're not being satisfied, you're going to have to deal with that. But whatever you do, lose the story. Either do it because you wish to or stop doing it. Either be in the relationship because you're fulfilled or don't be in the relationship. Mm. 
Yeah, completely resonate with that. And I, it relates to my own life in so many ways. It's it's a hard thing, I think, to come to grips with, though, is because I think so many people, they want to believe that someone wants to be better, you know, especially when, when things are said verbally, right? Because a lot of times when two people love yeah. each other, someone will be like, yes, I am trying or I'm trying to meet you there or, you know, vice versa, right? Or they'll go to a couple's counseling or something like that. And there's a sense of belief that's built up. Now, I'm curious, are you advocating just throw out hope altogether or or if someone is legitimately trying, it's all right to have belief and, you know, wait it out and see, or should we not build any sort of narratives in our head that this might change and just take it for face value every time? Uh, um, I'm smiling broadly here because you've stumbled upon one of my favorite thoughts, which is trying. Now, Nico, I want you to try to stand up right now. Right. Um, there, there's no trying. I, I go mm. camping a lot with my friends and, uh, and we went winter camping, camping one year. And, you know, uh, Steve was tasked with building the fire and we were freezing our asses off. We were just very, very cold. And one, one of us yells out, Hey, Steve, Steve, how's that fire coming? Steve yells back. I'm trying. Well, well goddamn, Steve, do you want a medal for trying? Like, there's no fire, Steve. Your trying is really not helping. Call us back when you got the fire going. Listen, trying is a very funny linguistic trick. It's getting rewarded for something that is still in process. You haven't finished Mm -hmm. the race yet, but you want the reward. So lose trying. Trying is another hoping story. Stop trying. Here's what I would say. Well, I'm being a little hard line here. Can I just tell you my own life? Would this be okay? This might soften of some of what I'm saying. Yeah. I had had an affair. It wasn't great. It was pretty brutal. And I had had to, in fact, come very clean of it. And was then standing in front of my partner. Very, very difficult moment. And if you've ever been in that moment where, you know, you've made a series of very wrongheaded decisions that have put someone in an immense amount of pain, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, and it was very painful to watch that. One thing I knew in that moment was that if she would have me in this, that I was willing to do just about anything to, to repair that relationship. So I took full responsibility for my actions. I also knew I couldn't keep on doing my actions. And I knew that there would have to be an awful lot of different decisions because you know when you when you make a a decision it's not just that decision it's all the scaffolding that lies under it that supports that decision right there was whole ways of being right that had been built into our life that allowed for some of those thoughts it wasn't going to change just with a a flip of the switch right Mm -hmm. and so what i what i began to do was to undertake a series of of behavioral modifications right So now I'm engaging with a brotherhood of men who are holding me accountable. Now I'm seeking out my own shadow work. Now I'm beginning to pursue my own sense of deepest health. I'm beginning to do all those things. Well, I'm trying, right? No, I'm not trying. I'm doing. I'm doing. What she had to come to was she had to be in the place, and this was her work, where she said, at every stage, this is adequate for me. Right. 
she had to actually be willing to say, hey, I get that you're not going to be uh, at the finish line that I'm hopeful for for a while. This is good enough for me right now. And a lot of times we don't actually mean that. We as partners feel like we hear that story. Hey, I, I, I want to work on this. I want to get better. And we go, okay, great, great, great. Do it. But what we mean is, well, once you get there, it'll be great. <laughs> we actually have to accept the reality. It's not going to be great for a while. I either have to sign up for the mess and the trauma and the drama of it and that that's okay too, that I accept that fully too, or don't sign up for it at all. So in my experience, there's no trying. There's only throwing yourself wholeheartedly in and committing to one another that this process as it is, right as it is, is what I'm signing up for or it's not. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It really reminds me of Esther Perel's work because I you know, first came across some of her work with infidelity and I have my own experience with it. It's just, it's so essential for, especially if it's just a monogamous relationship, that's what we're talking about here. It's like for two people to show up because it's not just the responsibility of the person that you know was unfaithful because if the other person is to maintain that relationship, like you said, they have you know, that, that work to do too, as far as saying like, this is good enough for now. Like this person's healing these wounds. They've accepted accountability, you know, and look at their own role and perhaps why, why infidelity happened. You know, I think that there's so much intertwined there. People cheat for so many different reasons and really appreciate you bringing it up because I think a lot of people, you know, have experience with this, but they know no one talks about it because it's so stigmatized in, in society where if you admit to doing to cheating or to being unfaithful, you are a horrible person, you know, and it's just, it couldn't be further from the truth because some of the people I've connected with the most have been able to admit some of these faults where they've hurt someone they love deeply, but it, it's been the gateway for so much growth where though one probably never do that again, but two, they're an amazing human being because they can relate through empathy, through wounding, like we said in the beginning to another person now that has had this similar experience instead of like hiding from it and saying like, Oh no, I'd, I'd never do that. You know? Um, right. And more of a very self-righteous cause. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us because um, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that experience. You know, I, I, I think that that right there, until, until I sat in that car on our way, we had a two-hour drive between our house and, and the beach uh, that, that we went to this weekend. And I told her in the car what had happened. And she looked at me. She was sitting in the passenger seat. I was sitting in the driver's seat. We were crossing a bridge. And she looks at me and her tears flood her eyes. And she didn't stop crying between that bridge and an hour and a half of driving. And I'll tell you, it doesn't get more devastating than seeing the impact of your actions on a person that you love. That gets real. That's very real very quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. We allow ourselves the opportunity to make a number of decisions that aren't congruent with our highest values simply because we bury them in the vault of secrets. That vault allows us to maintain the belief that we're basically good. We look good. We're justified. We're okay. 
that vault allows us to to masquerade. And I don't just think about that for the 40% of people who say they haven't cheated, 40% of males. Um, I don't just mean that for the, the percentages of people who would say they've basically lived a good life. I mean that for all of us. Almost all of us are playing this game called looking good, called keeping up appearances, called being right, called feeling justified. Almost all of society is erected on this really thin, delicate scaffolding. And, you know, it just perpetuates itself. The news every day has a, a new kind of drama of a big so-and-so who turns out to be a, a real asshole. And we're all surprised. Oh my God, did you know? Or did you hear? Can you believe it? Well, it's like, why are we surprised? You know, I think of that um, college uh, enrollment scandal that happened a, a few years ago where these celebrity parents were paying lots of money so that their children could end up at a college. And it was like people were really, really upset about this. And, you know, I, I just kind of cracked up. I said, wait, we were, were we surprised by this? Is this new news to people? Were, were people thinking that somehow there was like this meritous society? I mean, when did we imagine, you know, we really are asleep. And one of the things we're most asleep to is the hypocrisy of our own actions. Um, do you, yeah. I want to ask you a quick question. Do you think that everyone has the same innate response to seeing people you love being hurt by yourself? Right. Like, like for instance, I, I feel like you and I are, are probably pretty similar. Like when I've hurt people that I love, I mean, it, it can literally destroy me because I can see, I can feel their pain. You know, it's, it's very sort of like the empathic, you know, feeling of like, uh, this is like, well, I've done this to this person, but I ha have found it in my life where I've seen people that hurt others uh, that they love and they can distance themselves from it, you know, and, and I'm not sure if it's them not feeling it or if them, if them like you're saying, just hiding from the feelings as we're like, you know, living that facade of a life. But I'm curious on, on if you think those are two different, like two different persons or if one of them is merely just, you know, better at not feeling the pain they cause from someone else because it might completely destroy them or their, their self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, to that latter point that you made, I think that people who can't acknowledge the pain that they create in others are usually individuals who don't have a very solid sense of self. So I, I have four children and I've got to say, you know, watching the stages of development is, is fascinating. And being a bit of a developmental theorist, I think it's even more fascinating. But one of the things that I've learned about, about developing ego structures is it's very difficult to take responsibility for things. Oh my gosh. And so it's like, you didn't do the dishes. What? I, it, it wasn't my job. How could you say that? You know, or, or think about how many children you've seen, you know, little Bobby and little Billy are playing together. Little Billy falls because Bobby pushes him. Billy breaks his arm. 
And Bobby goes, well, my pinky got hurt too. You know, why couldn't, why couldn't Bobby just go, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Well, because his ego was too fragile. He couldn't do that. It would have meant that he was a bad person. It would have meant that he was problematized. It would have meant all of these different things. Right. Yeah. His ego was too fragile. And so I think a lot of times in relationship, people can't acknowledge the hurt that they bring in some ways because they don't have a developed or a solid sense of self. So they have these narcissistic defense mechanisms that kick into gear, right? Where they go, oh, you're, you're the problem. And by the way, I don't think this is some individuals out there. I think this is all of us often, right? Mm. From time to time where we go, oh my gosh. And the assessing mind kicks in. We can only handle being the problem so much <laughs> before we start to think, well, you know, it was mom. Well, you know, my father. And we start to shift the blame very quickly. Mm. Well, society, you know, I did this to you because society was really wired in such a way that it taught me these kind of values. Right. It is very difficult to make a decision and then to bear the consequences of that decision. That requires a self. You have to be a self. And I'm going to say something, and and I don't say this a lot, but I I would tell you this. I think that as a society, we are largely a society of regressive children. I don't think there's a lot of fully developed selves going on here. And a lot of what we call toxic masculinity is simply immature masculinity, underdeveloped masculinity. And I don't just think it's masculinity either, by the way. I think we have a society of regressive children masquerading as adults. Yeah, I would completely agree. Everything you just said, I completely agree with. And I really like how you bring up that someone who can't take accountability lacks a sense of self because that's completely what I think in my head too. Because anytime I've ran from accountability or responsibility, it's because I didn't know myself. I wasn't steeped in in my own sort of who I am because you have to have a sense of self in order to be able to say like, no, yes, I, f- I fucked up. I made these mistakes. It doesn't mean I'm a horrible person, but I am accountable and responsible for changing my actions in the future, for owning my actions in the present, you know, for apologizing, for admitting I'm wrong you know, to, to alleviate or, or somehow try to soothe what I've done. Right. And hopefully not repeat those mistakes. But right. anytime I've ran into individuals and people I've been in loving relationships with where they can't apologize or take ownership, it, it's really, even they, they would probably admit like there's a lack of sense of self, you know, and I, I've seen that in my own, in my own life as well too. And I think that's really intriguing that, that you bring that up. So my, I guess my follow-up question would be like, how as individuals do we develop a greater sense of self, you know, how do we, how do we become more present so we can be, you know, wholly there as, as we kind of start the conversation, like how do we develop a sense of self? And it's not, I know it's not just a one size fits all thing, but, but as a generality, you know, and I'm sure it takes years because it takes years to build trauma up. Like where do we start? Yeah. Well, I think for one thing, it's, it is beginning to shake that addiction to looking good and being right. Mm. I think we have to confront that in ourselves, that there is a kind of addiction And I think it begins very, very early on. Um, We develop our personalities, our external ego structures, right at the same time as our shadows are forming. And really what our shadows are are all the things that are unacceptable, all the things that we think will make us unpresentable to those we wish to belong in relationship to. And at some point in time, it becomes advantageous of us to shed that addiction to looking good. And that means we have to really begin to integrate those things that we've cut away. 
we have to begin to look at those things we might call shadows or even our demons. You know, I, I say a lot of my life was given to the statement, get behind me, Satan. What a ridiculous thing, right? Who wants Satan at their back? You know, don't get behind me, Satan. I would rather look at my demons. I would rather know them by name. And what you find out after conversing with them for just a bit is they're not quite so demonic after all. They're actually usually a lot more like uh, a little child who's scared, who's underdeveloped, who, who, who really just was never tended to. And as you begin to work with those parts of yourself and you begin to shed that addiction to looking good and being right, um, you begin to find out that you have a lot more capacity to be a whole self. Look, I don't think that you have to go through a special process. I really don't. I think the truth is life will give you, life will afford you a number of opportunities to confront yourself. And in those moments, you will always have a choice. The choice will look like blaming. It will look like denying responsibility. It will look like pushing away. Or it will look like saying, I did that. I said that, that was me, this is who I am, yeah, and taking a stand. I remember a moment in time in my life, a separate moment from the one I'm describing. Life has given me a lot of opportunities to say I've failed. Uh, And I was sitting in a car, and I remember having this immense sense of uh, failure, like I couldn't get away that I was being pummeled by life. And I just started crying. And my partner was sitting there beside me. And I I just, I remember feeling like life was throttling me. I couldn't catch a breath. Um, And I, I looked over at her and I said, when will it stop? When will it stop? And something very special happened in that moment. I had like a blinking awareness go off in my mind. It's not gonna stop. (laughs) <laughs> better fall in love with it. Better fall in love with it not stopping. Better fall in love with the storms. Better fall in love with adversity. Stop trying to deny and hide and put the resume forward. Stop trying to get more knowledge, more yoga retreats in, more insights, more degrees, more lovers, more possessions. Stop. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You're going to die in the end. And in fact, you're going to die alone because we all die alone. All of our strategies for avoiding the painful places in life aren't going to work out. And in that moment, when I realized it wasn't going to work out, I had a choice. Am I going to fall in love with life as it is? Or am I going to keep on resisting it and rejecting it? And I made a choice in that moment. How do you become a solid self? You fall in love with life as it is. You shed the addiction to looking good and being right and having to have life just so. And you say, this is. Here's how I am. Here's how you are. This is. And I accept it as it is. And from that place of radical acceptance, which usually looks a lot like saying, I don't accept it. (laughs) That's usually like the first great statement in radical acceptance is to say, I don't accept this. This sucks. And once you begin to stand in that place, you begin to find there's something solid like granite inside of you and you begin to build out from that. I really like how you sort of led with this idea of you will be presented many opportunities in life and you always have a choice. And I 
can't reiterate that enough because I've noticed that in my own life, it's that every time specifically there is big trauma, whether I lose a parental figure like my grandfather or I lose, uh, you know, a, a relationship that I, uh, you know, thought was going to turn into marriage and spend the rest of my life with this person, right? Mm. Like the things like that, when you lose those things, you have a choice. You can either walk down the blame, denial, avoidance path, which, which in my mind, I visualize this door, right? It's this huge steel door and it swings open when these traumatic experiences happen. And you can either look at the door and turn around and walk back the other way where you came from and nothing will change. You'll go into the next relationship, the exact same human being, probably running into the same door and having the same choice. Or you can step through that door and, you know, accept account, have responsibility, you know, choose growth, really invest in seeing your side of things, you know, how you played into, into the roles, the, the, the healthy parts and the unhealthy parts of a relationship with whatever it is. Right. That's right. But, Either way, if you walk through that door, you're going to be a different person. You know, yeah. even if you even if you analyze just a little bit of what you did, not the whole thing, like you're still going to be different, right? And I think that's, right. that's the choice I think you're speaking of is like the choice to, you know, account, have responsibility or take responsibility and go through that door or turn around and walk the other way and just be like, oh, it was the other person's fault. And, you know, maybe I'll admit to a little bit of guilt, but really I'm not, you know can't can't say I'm a bad person I've done everything you know I could kind of thing and I think I think when a lot of people struggle is when again going back to self-worth and self-identity when you're not steeped in like sort of a foundation of self you can't really walk through that door because walking through that door means that you have to admit guilt or responsibility on some level and and to someone with not a foundation of self it can crumble you you know, all of a sudden you lose everything you're being propped up on and because it's just a pile of sticks. It's nothing like solid, you know, it's just this kind of like facade you've built and this, this image you show, you sell the world and yourself. But I, I appreciate you bringing that, that the idea of choice up, because I think a lot of people don't realize we do, we always have a choice in those environments and it doesn't mean you're not going to be sad or experience loneliness right. or depression because those are natural things when you lose something. Right. That's but right. We most certainly have a decision every time on what we do with those feelings, you know, specifically when we've had a role in them, you know, it's different when someone just, you know, leaves or or dies, you know, but, but especially when like there's a voluntarily death is which what I kind of refer to as a breakup. Like, you know, it's some, that person is still alive, but either you're choosing not to be with them or they're choosing not to be with you. And to a lot of people, that is one of the most painful things to deal with because their sense of self it gets ironed, you know, it's like, it's like, oh man, like this, I'm not good enough or, 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 you know, I didn't do good enough or this person's not good enough or that, this and that. And I think it's when we arrive to those sort of forks in the road, we can decide like, you know, okay, like I'm going to use this to be a better human being so I can be a better father, better partner, better mother, you know, um, better friend, better whoever after, or, you know, just say, well, I'm a great person. And, you know, it's just not on me, you know, like just right. it's not on me. It's never on me. And I, it's interesting because I think maybe in my early twenties, I, I've always been pretty self-accountable, but I think when I fir- lost my first love, when I was like 22, I was really like, God, this, this person has to, it has to be all on her, you know, this and that. And I was this, you know, very kind of young self-righteous kid. And now my like most previous separation, it's like, man, there's so many things that I, that I can look back on now and be like, you know, I wish I would have done this differently. I wish I would have handled this situation differently. I wish I would have been less angry, less resentful in later stages, you know? And it's those things that at least I try to bring out through this show. Like this is what people should be looking at because these are the things we can control as individuals. I can't control what someone else is doing. You know, I can't control what my partner is doing, but I can most certainly control my internal climate, my response, you know, 
And as you brought up when the show started is like our internal climate is all we have control over, but that does influence for sure our external climate to an extent, you know? Yep. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what I've come to discover is if I can occupy that space of solid self, if I can take full responsibility and, and just a word on responsibility, I think you should take responsibility for as much as you can. And this is what I tell people who come to me, you know, recently I was working with someone who was going through a very, very painful divorce and they felt very, very justified and in the right around it and maligned and all kinds of things. And I said, I want you to go back and I want you to sift through your story of how things are. And I want you to see if you can take as much responsibility as you can for as many things as you can. Um, even to the point of ridiculousness. Now, here's the deal. If I go outside with my kids and it's a nice day and my kids say, oh my God, it's such a great day. I have been known to say, you're welcome. Now, I am fully taking responsibility for the universe or for God's doing. But from my standpoint, I made my children and so I am totally responsible <laughs> for their good day that they're experiencing later on. Now, I'm just joking there. But if I can take responsibility for God's good day, then I can at least take responsibility for that thing that I said flippantly or that, that comment that I made or that action that I did, right? Uh, so I, I'm being a bit facetious there, but the truth is there's so much that we can take responsibility for. And you know, why not take responsibility for it? It gives you great power to take responsibility for something. The more responsibility you have, the more you can change things later. It's so funny. We want to take no responsibility, but don't we know how powerless that is? Listen, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, Dear Abby columns kind of went like this. I, I, I always thought this was an amusing one. Uh, someone wrote into Dear Abby and said, you know, just the other day I, I came into the airport and it was raining and I didn't have an umbrella and I was sitting there waiting for the car and it was just, it was raining so awful. I was getting drenched and, and a car pulled up and it was a gentleman and he said, do you want to ride? And Lay said, now, normally, I would never accept a ride from a stranger, but it, it being as bad as it was and it raining as hard as it was, I took him up on it. We get in the car and we start to talk and it's a very good conversation. Now, normally, I would never talk to a stranger in their car, but it was raining that day and it being as bad as it was and him being as generous as he was, I decided to just share a lot about my life and it went really well. We got to my house and he looked at me and he said, hey... Why, why don't we go down to the bar, actually, instead of me dropping you off? It, it's going really well. And, and the lady said, now, normally, I would never have uh, gone to the bar with a perfect stranger. But it being as rainy as it was that day, I decided to take him up on. So one thing led to another, and we slept together. But he hasn't called me for two days. Abby, what should I do? And Abby's response was, pray for more rain. Now, <laughs> I love that story because this person had blamed every choice on the rain. And I've got to tell you, there was zero responsibility in that story. No responsibility for the choices she was making. And she was powerless. The only thing that could save her in that situation was just pray for more rain. And this is how most of us are. It's mom's fault 
for raising me in this way. It's dad's fault. It's society's fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's the right. And, and we're right. Those things are all it, here's the deal. Um, you may have done nothing to create the situation that you are in, but you are certainly the only person who is responsible for changing or interacting with the situation that you are in now. Yeah. And so I think that take as much responsibility as you can. It gives you great power to make choices and make changes. Incredible. Love it. Let's, uh, before we end here, let's talk about your book. Let's talk about what you're working on, what you got coming down the pipeline, um, and, and how people can, you know, get, get their hands on this when it's, when it's available. It's not available yet. I'm, I'm you're It's not available yet. Written. Yeah. yeah. As you are 31 meditations on selfing and relating so much of it is, uh, wrapped up in a lot of the concepts we've explored today, how to be a self how to be a self in relationship to others, how to experience the triumphs and the tragedies of living in reality as it is. Uh, it's drawn a lot from, from many of the writings that I've shared across the last couple of years. Um, I partnered with an absolutely incredible graphic designer and artist to create a visually rich medium um, that really draws on, I think, a lot of the the visual elements to the things that I write, but, but at the heart of it is communicating to us how, how to be a self in this world in relationship to others. I'm so excited about it. It comes out uh, in early September. You can get your hands on it. Uh, you'll be able to get it through Amazon um, and uh, directly through me. If, uh, if people follow me, if they haven't followed me yet, Rainier Wild on Instagram, or on my website. You can also sign up for my newsletter. There's going to be so many different um, ways of connecting to me there. And I'll make sure that you have heard about the book and can get one into your hands. Uh, I won't devalue it by signing it or anything. You can just write your own name in it. It's way more valuable. Wonderful, my friend. Um, I'll put all the links to everything. And I'm so excited to read this book now having conversed with you because, you know, obviously I can get so much via your memes on Instagram, which are powerful. Your writing's phenomenal. But, you know, being able to hear you speak today and uh, I mean, everything just resonates so well. Thank you so much for your time, Rainier. Absolutely. Thank you, Nico. 